three, four. All right, now today. Please stand by. We'll be streaming live Lord soon. To me. It's in Luke. Wait a minute. Please stand by. We'll be streaming live soon. Go ahead. Good morning. Ah, what a wonderful day. I hope that you are blessed uh, like I'm blessed. And I used to explain the background down here. It's, it's really uh, streaming. It, but I don't. But uh, it's just a, a way to impress you, you know, and to make you think that somehow we're doing, doing really good and, and happy, when in fact we are doing very good and happy. Amen? Okay. The visit of Jesus to the city of Nazareth has connotations of <clears throat> the millennium. When Jesus came to Nazareth in Isaiah chapter 61, uh, verse, uh, verse 1, He said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind the broken heart, to proclaim liberty to the captives in the opening of prison to them that are bound. So the first nine verses of this chapter presents the Messiah and His people in the reason why, at the millennium, the thousand years, because to explain the millennium is, is, is Revelation 19. I want to go into that. I'm just giving you the, the scope of things. That what really is referring to is that the first nine verses introduces Jesus into the time when he will rule and reign in Jerusalem. It's called the millennium. After the seven years of tribulation, the millennium comes. And then, of course, Mount Zion in the New Jerusalem comes from down from heaven and eternity begins. I'm looking forward to that more than anything else. So the first nine verses deal with that. And then if you want to continue to study what is going to happen, in the millennium is the nine, the last nine chapters of the book of Ezekiel. So go into the book of, if I'm not mistaken, the last nine chapters of Ezekiel explains in detail what's going to happen in those days of the millennium. It's a lot of things, a lot of healing, a lot of deliverance. And so, it all begins at the little synagogue in Nazareth. Isn't that something? It begins in Nazareth. And as you begin to study this, it comforts you to know that when Jesus took the pulpit and he preached on Isaiah 61, it is the greatest message of eternity that any Christian will ever hear. It's got to be one of the greatest most powerful expressions 
of the love of God to us Christians as we face the millennium. So let me begin because that's how it happened. I, it's, look, I'm going to... I mean, remember, I was in Matthew to begin this Bible teaching uh, last week. And, uh, and of course, uh, I decided to... Uh, because the account of Matthew is it's very small. But Luke does a better job and increases the understanding of us as we look at it. So let me... Uh, let me go to Luke chapter 4, verse 15, all the way to 30. Every single verse, 15 to 30, 15 verses describing how the meeting in Jerusalem, in, in Nazareth, with the people of God, especially those days, the Pharisees and the scribes, they were following Jesus everywhere. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. But it begins to change. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for the reading. A guest usually is given the ability to and the invitation and the welcome to read the scroll uh, and the law, the five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. And, uh, and Jesus then took the invitation. And there was delivered unto him the book of, of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. He found Isaiah 61.1. And of course, Luke repeats verse, verse 61 of Isaiah, which is verse 18 of chapter 4 of Luke. 4.18. If you have your Bible, take it, take it with you. Let's take a look. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. That's a mouthful. What are you talking about? The full Godhead embodied into the body of Jesus Christ. When God sent Jesus into the world, He sent Him a triumphant, awesome, charismatic, supernatural Son of God. Half man, full man, and full God. Into the midst of a small synagogue. You know, we're going there this coming 23rd of March. And uh, we're going to study uh, in detail uh, what happened there. We're going to visit Nazareth, by the way. To preach the gospel to the poor, poor in spirit, He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Sin breaks the, the heart. To preach deliverance to the captives. And I told you yesterday that He's not saying deliver the captives, but preach deliverance to them. There's a difference. You don't come like with couple guns and you're going to get that done because you represent the Lord. You preach deliverance. You preach the Word. The Word heals, not you. Recovering the sight of the blind. It's more here an invitation to the scribes and Pharisees because they were spiritually blind. 
And when, when, when they are spiritually blind, it's very difficult to, uh, let me get my coffee here. It's very difficult to, uh, to have an understanding of who Jesus is. And then, to set at liberty them who are bruised. Sometimes life presents us with spiritual prisons. We, we're blind on a concept. We buy, we're blind in an idea. We, we're blind in a, in a thought process that causes us not to grow forward and disrupt life and disrupt the call of God. That all along and through what He did in the cross can open the prison's doors. Continuing on Isaiah 61, Luke is saying, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. It's the beginning of the Jubilee uh, uh, in those days. Jubilee is the year of looking at the harvest and thanking God for the harvest and for the wonderful things He has done for, for us in our personal life, especially the harvest and the, the, the fields full of green and, and wheat, gold, wheat spreading throughout Israel. And he closed the book and he gave it to the, again to the minister and sat down, which is a custom of the time. And the eyes of all them who were in the synagogue were fasted on him. <laughs> I mean, you're talking about the mighty Son of God speaking to a bunch of unbelieving Jews inside of a synagogue on a Sabbath, on a Sabbath day. It was, it was, a, so now, let's take a look at verse 61 of Isaiah again. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, meaning the presence of God is upon me. And I want you all to know that the presence of God is upon me, and I'm going to say several things right now, because the presence of the Almighty God is upon me. That's what he's saying. Because he has anointed me. Meaning, whatever I'm going to say is based on two things. The presence of God is on me, and second, he has anointed me, which, <laughs> which made them to pay attention, all right? To preach the gospel, heal the brokenhearted, deliver the captives, recover the sight of the blind. Set liberties were kept, preached the acceptable year of the Lord. He closed the book. So you have to base the statement on 61 Isaiah, verse 1, on two, two things. The presence, the Spirit of the Lord, which is the Holy Spirit, is upon me. Because, why do I have the Spirit? Because He has anointed me, He has chosen me, He has empowered me, He has renewed me, and I come to set creation free. I come to bring healing, deliverance of sins. And, and as, I, as I go into Jerusalem and I'm crucified and I will rise again from the dead and I will go into heaven. Fifty days Pentecost comes and the power of the Holy Spirit is poured upon humanity. So reading this way, you're able to see why were they staring at him. Because you see, this verse, which is uh, 
verse 20. And the eyes of all them who were in the synagogue were fasted on him. This is Luke. And as you know, Luke the doctor is very specific. He is very, very uh, filled with uh, detail. And so he is saying that what he saw was that they were befounded. My gosh, I, oh my. What this man is saying. What is it that he is saying? Now, every time you meet Jesus into a confrontation where it does make sense and it causes you to respond, you're going to be uh, yourself. You're going to be overwhelmed with his presence. I was at uh, Mount Bethel Church this weekend. It's our 9.30 service and our 11 o'clock service. And I go to the altar to pray for people there, along with John Dunn and Jody, Dr. Jody Ray and, and several other uh, pastors from the church. And uh, they, 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 the pastors pray for the people. And so I, uh, I was, and after I got back to my position in the altar, I looked to a man in front of me. And I saw that he was looking at me with great expectation. So I told him, you come here. Just come on. Invited him forward. Asked him to come forward, which is kind of unusual. You don't do that, but, but uh, I do the unusual sometimes. sometimes. And he came forward. And I believe that that confrontation, that moment when this man and I got together at the altar, and we began to pray, something unbelievable supernatural happened. I believe that he will be baptized in that church. I believe that he will receive Jesus Christ in that church. I believe that he will join that church. I believe that God healed him completely at that moment. Now, it wasn't me that he was coming to. He was coming to Jesus, but it came through his eyes. He looked at me as if he was hearing the Lord and feeling His presence. Matter of fact, His 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 body is shaking and moving on the pew, and all I had to do is to pull Him in. Come on, come on here. Now, now, verse twenty-one here then begins to complement what He said. And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. He was simply saying, I'm the Messiah. And I'm going to fulfill of these scriptures. This day in this scripture, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, I'm the Messiah, I'm here, and I'm going to do what I exactly told you to do because the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, He anointed me, and I'm going to do preach the gospel. Now, when you look at this verse, you might sort of just pass by. But if you want to know what is the reason why Jesus in John 16 said to the, to the disciples, when the Holy Spirit has come, He will convict the world of sin because they do not know Me. Convict the world of righteousness because I go to My Father and see Me no more. Convict the world of judgment for the ruler is already judged. 
these, the purpose of His coming is in these three statements in John 16, just before His ascension. So what is it the Holy Spirit does in us? The first thing the Holy Spirit does in us is to heal the brokenhearted. The weight of sin, so heavy, so overwhelming, so horrible, that until you come to terms with forgiveness, full reconciliation, full and complete submission to the Lord and to others, you're going not you're not going to be able to overcome. So the number one thing the Holy Spirit does in you, He takes the burden of sin. And if you study this chapter, 61 of Isaiah, verse 1 through 9, He talks about the double. I told you yesterday that he will, he, will, he, will, he will double, take the double for you. Meaning, in those days, people would put a skin of animal, and when they're bankrupt and they own the whole city, they would write down, I own Robert this much, I own Joseph this much, I own Isaiah Robert this much, I own this man this much, I, I'm, I'm, I'm indebted to him. And, and he would put that skin hanging on the highest place in the city that everybody could see. And a rich man passed by, he would take it, and he will pay all the bills. And then after paying all the bills, he would double it, make the skin in two, and write his name on the skin, whatever his name was, death paid, and put it back into the place where he found it. Well, Jesus on the cross did the double for you. So, the idea, He sent me to heal the broken hearted. It's a malady. And that's the first thing that the Holy Spirit does, is to comfort you, to encourage you, and to say, your sin is not going to be mentioned, remember forever anymore. I want you to know that, because many of you are contemplating all kinds of ugly things with your life. I know that uh, some of you are deeply involved into punishing yourself so body, your, your body physically, because you're sinning what you did in the past. Some of you have attempted suicide. And what I'm saying to you, let the Holy Spirit of God come upon you and heal you so you don't have to do none of those things. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. To heal the brokenhearted. And of course, he goes on to preach deliverance, recover the sight of the blind, spiritually blind, and set to liberty them who are kept bruised. And of course, when Jesus said, This hearing is fulfilled, this script is fulfilled in your hearing, I'm the Messiah, I'm right here. And they responded. Now, that's when things began to go sour. He says, it's not this Joseph's son. And he said to them, you will surely say unto me, also here in your country. And he said, verily, verily, as Georgia for clo- They don't want to hear about it. They don't want to deal about it. A young college student places judgment upon a man that is 70 years old and has been on the road for almost 50 years traveling in ministry. The leaders give authority to the blind to accuse someone that should be, in other words, 
should be respected according to Scripture. And only elders will speak to him, but a young man can place judgment upon you. And of course, the leaders will respond the same way. That is what happened. No prophet is accepted in his own home. But I'll tell you the truth. This is Jesus. Many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, when great famine was throughout all the land, but unto none of them was Elijah sent, save unto Sarapta, the city of Sidon, unto a woman who was a widow. He was a, she was a Gentile. What he said to them was that, you're not blessed because of your unbelief. But I want to tell you this, the only way you can be blessed by me is if you recognize me as the Son of God. And many lepers were in Israel in the times of Elijah the prophet. None of them were cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. Another Gentile. And so when Jesus begins to converse with the congregation, He is now changing ideas and saying, you're not going to be healed because of your unbelief. The Holy Spirit of God recognizes that you cannot see. You are the blind that on chapter 61 of Isaiah is referring to. You have no identity. You have no understanding. You have no comprehension. And let me say, if, if you are one of those that are here listening to me this morning, you need to confess to Jesus your ignorance and your blindness and say to Him, forgive me, Lord. Because if you don't, you're not going to hear it. Look, faith cometh by hearing and hearing the Word of God. Without the hearing, you have no faith. And so Jesus is simply saying to them, that of all the people with the leprosy in Israel, and there were hundreds and hundreds of them, that was the illness of the moment. None of them were healed except Syrian. And he was a general of the Syrian army. And he was healed because of his obedience to wash himself in the river Jordan. So, <clears throat> the atmosphere is set. All of that is set. Now, verse 28 closes a, with a bow of, uh, of, of approval from the Lord. It says, And all day in the synagogue. Now, all day in the synagogue, meaning nobody, nobody, all of them, all of them, all of them, all, all of them. This is important because you might think that somebody there could sort of uh, repent it. Somebody, at least one person. All of them in the synagogue, when they heard these words, were filled with wrath. Now, filled with wrath means judgment. Incensed that he would hold up two Gentiles as an example of receiving from the Lord while the Jews were shut out. It's a... <laughs> I mean, for the Lord to, to go back to the Old Testament and bring Elijah healing the widow of Seraphat and, and, and referring to a Syrian general that fought Israel face to face, Naaman, as one who was healed of leper, leprosy, it's quite, it's quite a, 
<laughs> it's quite a statement. Why did Jesus do that? It's because you see, when you see the people of God, and the way they respond to the presence of God, it's a sign of revival. This beautiful church in Mount Bethel in, in Atlanta, as the choir sings, the people of God stands up. They stand up. The whole congregation stands up and lift their hands. For the first time in many, 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 many years, that great church, for the first time, is experiencing a revival of the presence of the Lord. Nobody is rejecting. Nobody is filled with wrath. But with a good heart and a conscious heart and a tender heart, responding to God, I welcome you, Lord Jesus, into my life. He, in effect, was telling them that this is what would happen would happen to Israel. That Gentiles would receive him, but Israel would refuse him. Wrath is generally a response to unbelief. Wrath is generally a response to unbelief. Anger, retaliation, thoughts of murder, meanness. So as I stand in the pulpit area praying for people in that church, and as I make face with the congregation, I can sense that they are tenderly looking at me, tenderly responding to my presence there, tenderly saying, welcome Rick. But it doesn't mean anything to me. What it means to me is that what they are saying with the, the gaze in their eyes, welcome Holy Spirit. For I am a pastor and a minister of the gospel that represents the Holy Spirit. They're saying, welcome. Come, Holy Spirit. Now, what happens next is very sad, but is expected. I have experienced this type of rejection in my personal life in Athens, Georgia. And rose up and thrust him out of the city. Meaning they bodily grab him. Taking him by force out of the synagogue and out of the city. This was their response to the Messiah. God's only son and their only savior is trusted out of the synagogue. Let me say this to you. I've been in the pulpit in the congregations where the presence of God is not accepted. And I want you to know that when that happens, it begins to change your idea the church is coming for revival. But as the world experiences revival all over the world, Brazil has been on revival for 40 years. What you see at Asbury Theological Seminary, it's in Brazil. It's been there for 40 years. That is why I invite people to go to Brazil with me because the revival is there. There are 40% of 
300 million people lifting hands these days unto the Lord. Now, what they did was place judgment on the Lord. It says, And led him unto the brow of the hill whereon their city was built, that they might cast him down headlong. He said, Presents Nazareth his own village as the first to seek his death. Nazareth is the first village that placed a judgment upon the Lord. But the Lord says Jesus was not ready for that. In passing through the midst of them went his way. Only by the power of God. Left Nazareth never to return. Heavenly Father, I pray this morning, Lord, that none of those who are hearing me through this latterrain.com teaching at 9 o'clock in the morning, none of those who, who are, are, are tuning in to our podcasting of these teachings will resist the Lord of glory. Say with me, my brother. Say, Heavenly Father, I confess you as my Lord and Savior. I confess you as the Savior of the world. I confess you as the one who will welcome me into Jerusalem and send the beautiful city of gold and diamonds and jewelry and beautiful base and foundations out of heaven, the new Jerusalem. And at the one minute after past midnight, will take me forever into the glory of God for eternity. I confess you as my Lord and Savior. I confess you as the leader of my soul. I confess you as the road of sharing in Jesus' name. Amen. Rosa de Charol